we come before you, we ask that you would humbly be in this place. Lord, I ask that you would be with those that are not with us today. Lord, those who are sick right now. Lord, those who are joining us on Facebook at home. Lord, I pray that you would be with them as well. I pray for speedy recovery for those who are struggling right now. Lord, we lift them up to you. We thank you in your holy name. Amen and amen. Well, I want to welcome you guys once again to CV First. My name is Eric. I am the family pastor here. This is your first time. Um, if this is not your first time and you're still confused by who I am, I do apologize for that. Um, I tried to get them to put a, a statue or a picture of me so everyone would know, but they weren't having it. Um, so, you know, we'll take that up with the office later. Um, so I know that dear Pastor John has the tendency to go a little bit over time, right? Just a bit. I'm worse, so um, good luck, everybody else. Um, I, uh, I tell you a little bit about myself before I get into it. Um, I have been a believer since I was a teenager. Um, I got saved when I was a freshman in high school. Um, and from the moment I got saved, I knew ministry is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be involved in ministry uh, some way, shape, or form. Um, I attended a youth group in San Jose and was a part of a church out there for uh, many years. I met my wife at that church. We were um, friends in, uh, in the high school group, in the youth group there. We were uh, friends. She had a crush on me the whole time. Um, and uh, I blame my mom because my mom was a youth leader and she would talk me up in the youth group girls meetings. And... <laughs> She would, and Cece's like, your mom was talking you up, boy. And so it, uh, that's how it happened. And um, I actually didn't, uh, which is a good thing because I was a foolish teen. If I would have known she would have liked me, I could have pursued her sooner and messed it up in my immaturity. But the Lord finally opened my eyes to the beauty of my wife and let me see how awesome she was when I was already uh, graduated from Bible college. So um, then I was an adult. Um, and it was, uh, it was better that way. So we've been married for uh, eight years. This month will be eight years for us. Um, we have three children. Thank you. Yeah, that's okay. Guys. I know a lot of people in here are like, eight years, buddy? Come on. Talk to us when you reach 18, all right? So, <laughs> yeah, we've been married for eight years. We have three children. We have Olivia, Gabriel, and Julia May. Um, and each one of them are psychotic. So um, please keep us in prayer. Um, I was, I was raised in a church, um, or not raised in a church, but I attended a church uh, in my earlier Christian years um, whose doctrine I began to disagree with. And I'm saying this for a reason. Please don't think that I'm up here just bad-mouthing a church for the heck of it. Um, I'm saying this because this topic actually is very interesting to me. Because this topic is something that I have been over the past 10 years or so mulling over is something that I have been working through in the topic of greed and how it actually relates to the church. Because the church here in America tends to lean towards everybody else in America that falls into the category of being greedy. And that is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of us, isn't it? Because we don't want to be outdate. We don't want to be the person who's still in a horse and buggy. No, we need a car and we want it to be a nice car and and that's understandable, but there is a line that tends to be crossed often. And the church has become no different. When we have pastors standing on stages 
yelling to their congregation, Money cometh now! Some of you know who that was. I can tell by the giggles. Others of you may not, and that's okay as well. But we have superstar preachers and pastors that stand from the pulpit and will request their congregation give more, not because the building needs it, not because the grounds need to be kept up, and not because they want to be a better minister, ministry to their people, but because they want the newest jet. Because their jet is out of date and the leather on the seats inside the jet are not what it once was. You know, I'm not opposed to that, although I hate flying. Maybe a nice boat. If we're going to take an offering, maybe we'll throw it in. Capital campaign for a nice boat or something. <laughs> but instead, we run into this topic and we, we see this young man. I have to assume he's a young man because... In maturity, I don't think many people would have done this, but who knows? It could have been an older gentleman. But someone yells from the crowd, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Allow me to paint this picture a little more uh, modernized for you. I'm up here and I'm, I'm preaching and then somebody in the middle while I'm talking about this stuff or, or just imagine this. Pastor John has spent the past few weeks laying out all of chapter 12, all of Luke really, but in chapter 12 he's laying out, um, uh, you know, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, don't have fear. He's saying all these things, acknowledge Christ. And, and in the middle of that beautiful sermonette that Jesus is giving and he's giving it and somebody goes, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 real quick. Um, <clears throat> my brother needs to give me a little bit more money. Can you help out with that or something? Everybody in here would turn to that person like they were crazy. What's wrong with you? That has nothing to do with being said. And Jesus, like a parent, says, who made me judge over you? I, I say like a parent because I immediately imagine my children, the two that can talk so far. And they're sitting there and Olivia turned, Dad, Gabriel won't share his Ninja Turtle swords with me. Dad, Gabriel won't give me a bite of his pizza. And Jesus, unlike me, doesn't have to get involved in this matter. He doesn't have to arbitrate. He doesn't have to be the judge over the matter. Jesus simply says, I don't have to be involved in this. <laughs> this has nothing to do with me. And he explains why. Because you think to yourself, well, if he's owed that inheritance... Shouldn't Jesus help in that? Isn't that what judges and what priests did in the Old Testament? They, they stood up and Jesus is the mighty judge. He is the only one worthy of judging. He is the only righteous one who could stand in the seat of judge, correct? But Jesus lays it out more interestingly in verse 15. He says, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For no one's life, or for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The interesting there, word there that he used is covetedness, and he lays it out and he says, this is what this man is doing. He's coveting what his brother has. That means that that inheritance was not owed to him. He wanted something that did not belong to him. 
And see, we oftentimes, we think of somebody writing a will and leaving to us, but in the Jewish culture, that wasn't how it was. They left everything to the oldest. They left it to one of their children and said, this is now yours. You take over all of this. They could leave something to the younger. They could leave a blessing. They could leave something. But here, this younger brother says, tell him to divide it up. Why? Because Jesus, knowing the heart of man, says, you're coveting what your brother has. Be on guard not to. Covetedness is the Greek word pleonexia, which means greedy desire for more, covetedness. And it just stops, and it means, imagine that. So Jesus, what he's essentially saying is this man is having a greedy desire for more. A greedy desire for more. Jesus then goes on to explain a little bit more of what the Godhead feels about this type of thought process. And he tells them a parable, and he says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build large ones. And there I will store all my grains and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, within the context of America, we all read that and we're like, what's wrong with that? We, we all in here are working and we have to pay something aside to what? Social Security. Why? Because we're going to retire. There's many retired people in here. And so we read that and we say, this guy is being a good steward what the Lord has given him, right? That doesn't sound too terrible doesn't sound too bad, but the Lord thought otherwise. The Lord saw something different. He said, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself, but is not rich toward God. You see, there's a clear line that is being drawn by Jesus here. He's showing that the heart of this man in the parable, just as the heart with the young man who rose up the question before Jesus, is greedy, is coveted. It's not that having things is a bad thing. Is it wrong to have a car that actually runs? No. Nobody in here wants to Fred, Flo Fred, Fred Flintstone it to work every day. Unless you live on a hill, I guess you'd be a little bit better off. So nobody wants that, right? And Jesus is not saying that having things are, are bad. It's not bad for us to want to be okay. But this reaches a point. It hits a mark where we find issue in the heart of man. You have to remember our hearts are sinful. The heart of man is sinful. We tend to want to be greedy because we are sinful. We only desire what benefits us and our people. And sometimes it's not even our family we're concerned with. We're more concerned with ourselves, with our comfort. I, I've seen it too many times. I, I've, I've watched people 
in their constant depravity of mind and heart turn on their own children, turn on their own family because it meant they received more. I've seen siblings in the middle of, of uh, receiving inheritance in the, in the breaking down of wills turn on each other and fight tooth and nail because it meant that they got more if they fought just a little bit harder. In a time when they should be grieving, they're more concerned about what they can stuff in their pocket. So we look at our lives and we're to examine ourselves and we're to ask, what is the purpose for the more? What is the purpose we want this new thing? So people will look at you and the world and they'll say, man, you still have the iPhone 6? You still have a flip phone? <laughs> Everybody knows. Those who know, know. <laughs> They're like, honestly, for years I didn't have an iPhone. I had, a, I had an Android. Right? And, and trust me when I say this, Android is primitive technology. And so um, you're better off with a flip phone. Uh, <laughs> um, I, had, I had an Android for years, and people were like, dude, get an iPhone. I'm like, dude, give me money for an iPhone. What do you think this is? And it, the reality is people, and, I, and this, is, this is a story I shared recently on, uh, on a video I did, and I was, I was talking about this. I had a pastor say to me once. He said, uh, you can't be driving around in that car. We, had a, we have a Prius. I know. I, I, I agree I can't be driving around in that car, but it was given to us, and I fit in it sometimes, depending. <laughs> if I eat a little too much, I'm not getting in that car. <laughs> so, and, and you know, it's, it's, side note, I can't wear boots in that car. If I get into the, if I wear my boots and I try to get in that car, I'm like this, so I have to take off my boots when I drive that car. So we have this car. It's, you know, it's an older car, but it was, it was a gift. It was lovely from the church. And we, we, were, we were talking about something, and he was like, you know, the church needs to give you more money because how are you going to re reach people that drive around in Lamborghinis and you're driving a Prius? I was like, what? what did, how did, where did those two things start to put together? But the mindset in the church today, even in the pulpit, is that you need more to do more. You need more money. You need more finances. And then people will listen to you. If you have a nice suit, the nicest shoes, then they'll finally listen to you. And I'm here to tell you, if you have the nicest shoes, the nicest car, the brand new phone, and people start coming to your church. They're not after Jesus. They're after you. They're most interested in what you have. Because the world tells them, surround yourself. Rub shoulders with those who are influential, with those who have, so that you can have more. The American church today, so many times and in so many pulpits, and I'm, I praise God that this is not a church like that, but... In so many pulpits, you'll have people taking Scripture out of context, saying, this is what Scripture means when all you have to do is read a couple of verses higher or a couple of verses after, and you realize it's actually not saying that at all. You turn on the TV and you listen to preachers with nice smiles and nice suits, and they'll tell you, God just wants you to be happy. Here, let, me, let me show you. God just wants you to be happy. 
just wants you to smile. He's on your side. If you know, you know. And we find that so many times this teaching, although many people would say we understand that teaching is wrong, yet a church like that pulls millions of people in its buildings per week. And millions more view it on TV and they take encouragement from these words that are taken out of Scripture. But I'm here to tell you, if a preacher can't even walk to his pulpit with his Bible, there is cause for concern. And even if a preacher walks to the pulpit with his Bible, if he's just taking one Scripture and running just with one Scripture, and you can tell that that Scripture is so far out of context, there is cause for concern. And this is the church in America today. Because those sermons sell. Pastors will stand up there and they'll grab a Scripture and they'll take it out of context like God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Not realizing that once you're saved, the desire of your heart should be Jesus. And He does always give you the desire of your heart if your heart is Jesus. They'll take a Scripture out of context and they'll say, you can do all things through Him who gives you strength. And what are they talking about there? They're not talking about anything else but pursuing your dream, living your best life. And you can do it. You can achieve your goals. You can be the CEO of a company. You can do X, Y, and Z because of Him who gives you strength. You want that Lamborghini? Just name it. Claim it and you can have it. You want that new Chevy Silverado? I do. Just, just so you know, if anybody's curious, I do. Feel free to write it down. You want that new whatever and, and just claim it. Just claim it and believe it. And, and then you can get it. If you just want it bad enough, you can have it. Fortunately, that line of thinking sounds much more like New Age practices than it does anything we read in Scripture. But let's take a look at what Paul said about this topic. Just talking about himself. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. It says, And I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be what? Content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This verse, so commonly taken out of context for more. And Paul is saying, I've learned to be content. What is contentment? It's joy. It's happiness with where God has you. It's peace with where God has you. But in the church, we're being taught from the pulpit to be restless for more. To be aching inside for more. But Paul and Jesus, they equate Christian attitude to contentment with God alone. Being satisfied in Him alone. Not in the desires of our heart, but in Him 
alone. And the thing that we, we, oftentimes we swing this verse, I've heard it so many times, and it's just Paul in his humility saying, through Christ, through Him who gives me strength, even if I am hungry, even if I am poor, dirt poor, I have learned how to be content. And even if God blesses me with many, I've learned how to be content. Look at church, <clears throat> I am not saying in here, please understand this, that if you do have the nicest car, if you do have the best iPhone, if you do have all this and that, I'm not saying you're in sin. Please don't take it that way. But there is a caveat. If that is your heart's desire and it trumps your desire for Christ, then you are in sin. And the Lord says, your soul is required of you and can you take that stuff with you? We hear that all the time. What are you going to do with it? You can't take it with you when you're gone, right? I hear a lot of people, I worked with, at a church in Petaluma, and uh, <clears throat> we had a lot of retired folks that lived and, were, and came to the church. Um, the church was, is now 154 years old. It's an old church. And so um, when I came to CV first, they're like, yeah, we're 75 years old. I was like, oh, so you're just a baby church then. <laughs> But we have this we, there's very old church, and a lot of folks there are retired, and, and a lot of them were so giving, and it was awesome because they would say, I can't take it with me when I go. And I was like, what a great attitude. What a fantastic attitude to have. Because it's countercultural. Culture doesn't tell you to think that way. Culture tells you quite the opposite. Store up, buy the best stuff, do this, do that. Don't give to your church. What is, what, their church is doing silly things with your money. But what were you going to do with your money? I was going to go golfing on a course halfway across the world. You know, I've never done that before. Oh, that's not as silly as the church, you know, doing this with the money, doing that with the money, taking care of the needs of the congregation. It's interesting because the church has become so influenced by the world yet we miss that we're being influenced by the world. <clears throat> we don't see how influenced we are being by the world. So the plea from Jesus to Paul is to be content. I don't have this one up there, so I'm going to have you take my word on it, and you can check me later if you don't believe me. <clears throat> but Ephesians 5 is going through these different sins. It starts out, but sexual immorality and all impurities or covetedness must not be named among you. And later on, in verse, uh, it, it repeats itself almost in verse 5. And that's verse 3, by the way. Verse 5 says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, who is impure, and who is covetous, that is idolatry. See, Paul says covetedness is, is idolatry. It's to have an idol. That idol is now put before God. And what's the cure for that? Contentment. Being content with God. The Bible says that we should store up treasures for ourselves, but it says to do that in heaven. Store up treasures for yourself in the presence of God. 
to seek first the kingdom of God. All of these things are what we are called to do as believers. My plea to you, church, today, my, my cry, my heart, is that you would guard your hearts from this world telling you to be underhandedly greedy, to flee from the dangers of consumerism that has impacted the modern church, to be mindful of the celebrity pulpits where their pastors wear clothes that cost more than a whole month's wage for most of us. Be content in Christ alone. He's all we have. In this life and the next, all we have is Jesus. That's all we can ever hope on is Jesus. Your new iPhone isn't going to do much when you're faced with eternity. There was a little girl who sat and she was in church and listening to the pastor talk and she grabbed her phone and the pastor said something to the effect of what I just said, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only one who can guide you into the presence of the Father. And this little girl grabs the phone and she says, Siri, find heaven. And her dad looks at her and says, what are you doing? I'm going to find heaven. I'm going to go to Jesus. I said, well, you, that you go to heaven with Jesus. I said, well, Siri tells us everything, Dad. You can't find anything without Siri. So I figured I, you might need help finding heaven too. And then it's a silly representation of the way that we treat this modern age, that we treat technology. Maybe not out loud, maybe not with words. Nobody in here is going to say, yep, yeah, I'm greedy. You can find the most greediest person. You can find a scrooge of a person and they will not be like, yeah, I'm greedy. I'll say I'm prudish. I hold on. I make sure that everything's taken care of. But God is saying all of that but you have not stored up for yourself treasures in heaven. You have not spent time with Him. You have not spent time in His presence. You have not been on your knees in prayer. You have not sat down and just read your word. You have not shared the gospel with the lost. And it shows. Maybe not out loud. Maybe not in a way that the rest of us can see, but the Lord sees. The Lord knows. He sees past <clears throat> the facade of the smile that we give on a Sunday morning pretending everything's okay. That we all do. Every Christian. You ever say, how are you doing? I'm doing great. But everything else in your mind and in your heart is chaotic. I know that all too well because I have done it and did it for years. But I think that the true mark of a believer is contentment. So that even when chaos is all around you, you're fine. Even when it's hard, deep down inside, you're okay. Because you know that the one who created all things, the one that is still creating these beautiful Babies, the ones who is creating these ants that move and they, and they do their own thing and nobody even concerns themselves with them until they're in your house. 
You don't think twice about ants until they're in your way. And those things, God is orchestrating their very step, action, and movement. That he who does that, who knows the amount of hairs on your head, as Pastor John always says, he has an easier count than I do, but, you know, it's okay, it's his joke. John, don't fire me. Uh, (laughs) This will be my last Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. Um, (laughs) And that God who knows all of that, who's orchestrating, sovereignly controlling all things, that God is the one who saves you. And that God is whom we need to be content in. So that even if our stomach growls a little bit more than usual, we can feast on the bread of life. Even if the water in our house isn't running or the pipes need to be changed, He is the water that gives life. Finding peace in Him, contentment in Him, is all we can do. Bow your heads with me this morning, church. Dear Jesus, we thank You. Because what else can we do, Lord? What else can we say, Father? What else could we bring, Lord, but a thank you? Lord, I pray that our hearts would be content in you. Lord, that as we prepare ourselves to take communion today, how fitting it would be that we would talk about contentment. Lord, we we lack contentment when we don't see the true value of your sacrifice on the cross. We lack contentment when we miss the sacrifice, even stepping down from heaven, leaving your glory, coming to this earth. We lose contentment when we miss how valuable you are. We thank you, King. We thank you that you humbled yourself, was brought low, so that we may be raised up. I pray for the hearts of those in here, for the believer, for those who call upon your name, Lord. We pray and we ask that you would move our hearts, reveal in us anything, Lord, that is keeping us from being content, fully content in you, my God. Lord, let you be the desire of our heart, knowing that you will grant yourself more to us if all we do is ask. Lord, and for the one in here that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that as they've been searching about, seeking throughout the whole world, some way that they might be happy, some way that they might be filled and satisfied, Lord, I pray that they will see in this moment by your Holy Spirit that the only way they could truly be happy, be satisfied, be content, is found in your blood on the cross. Lord, as we take communion today, we ask that you would be with us. In your holy name, amen.